Hi, I'm Otto. Welcome to Aaron Sarah's podcast. We have a great conversation today with Yasmin Cheyenne. We all we basically ended the interview with asking her if she would be friends with us. No, no. I feel so inspired to get on my boundary setting. Let me tell you. Oh, I, I, don't need, I don't need you to do that. No, no. We, we need less boundaries from you. No, but I think that this episode, you're going to really walk away having such clarity on how to achieve healthy relationships with people. And also just like giving yourself a break and yeah. and how to do it in a way that is natural to you instead of being forceful. Um, she, uh, Yasmin is, she's a writer. She's a speaker. She's a self-healing advocate. She was in the Air Force. She wrote an amazing book called The Sugar Jar, Create Boundaries, Embrace Self-Healing, and Enjoy the Sweet Things in Life. And she really does it. Love her. You know how people say listening to their, you know, people write us all the time, like, oh, listen to your podcast. It's like listening to like girlfriends, your solo episodes. This in a weird way felt like a solo episode only just because it really felt like three girlfriends just shooting the shit about life, but just on yeah. a deeper level than exactly. you and I just alone. So. All right. So enjoy the episode. Hi. Hi, how are you? Good. How are you? I am good. Okay. Well, we're really excited to have you. This is a long overdue topic. It's just like right up our, our alley. So we want to, so we're going to have a conversation about boundaries and want to get a little background on you. If you can share with us, um, like how this became your focus and really want to understand how you got into the air force and like what, what happened? Just take us, take us through this. I know it's a big, a big ask to take us through your entire life. That's, story. that's broad. That is broad. And we will do an intro for you, but yeah, start off by just telling us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. You know, so I'm from Brooklyn, New York, and um, I decided to join the air force, like really spur of the moment uh, at 19 and joined. And I was really lucky to, do you have fam? Do you have family that was in the Air Force? No, really. Nobody. Honestly, was walking down you know the street in New York past the recruiter's office. They were like, "Hey, you ever thought about joining the Air Force?" So I was like, "You know what? I've actually never even heard of the Air Force. Tell me about it." Signed up, gone in a month. Like it was like a very. It just sounded like a really interesting thing to do um, to get to travel the world and you know get out of New York. I, I was young enough to have the naivete to do something like that, but old enough to know that the things that I wanted to do in life, I may not be able to do based on my current socioeconomical circumstances. So I just kind of went for it. Um, would not recommend that for anything. <laughs> um, but I did it. And because um, it seems like it's a probably a pretty aggressive life change to go after the things that you were looking for. I mean, I imagine it's like the ultimate life shift. It's a huge change, right? Um, and, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with New York. New York is a very, uh, you think it's the center of the world, but nothing else in the world looks like New York. So it was a huge shift. But I was working at Dunkin' Donuts on Barclay. So it was <sighs> like time to do something different. Um, I wanted, you know, a different life um, for myself. And I could tell that, I might be working, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I was just like, 
you know, I, I couldn't get my stuff out of the rut that I was in. So you were like, I see more for myself. Yes. I don't quite know how to attain it. I don't quite yes. even know what it is that I want, but it was almost like this weird lifeline that felt weird, but it got you out. Got me out. Um, and, you know, obviously we were at war. So, you know, none of that was factored into my thought process. I was just like, oh, you know, this, you know, should be okay. And I was lucky. I was able to join the JAG Corps, which is the legal department of the Air Force. And during that time, I got basically told that I was going to be the victim advocate, which was basically helping victims of sexual assault, domestic violence through the process of really, it was just supposed to be a paper job. Sign here, sign here, you know, we'll get you through the process. And for me, you know, reading these cases, working on the prosecution of these cases, working with these predominantly women that had been through such tough circumstances, I just couldn't, I didn't understand why we were just giving them paperwork. And I also didn't understand what was going to happen to them once this process was over. So I just became absorbed in what resources can we find? How can I work with people across, you know, I was working with people across the country to get these women the resources that they needed, therapy, money, like actual money to start their lives over, start their lives over. Um, And it made me realize at that time that I have a really big capacity to hold space for people who have been through tough stuff Mm -hmm. and it not ruin my life. Mm-hmm. That's not easy to do. I mean, not everyone can do that without taking it home with you and absorbing it and wanting to fix every person's problem. And because <clears throat> you have to be really strong to be able to handle that person sharing that information with you. If you fall apart, if you start crying, if you can't mm-hmm. handle what you're hearing, then they're not benefiting from that. Mm-hmm. And it also made, made me think about like, you are 19. You are working at Dunkin' Donuts. You knew that there was something in you that like, I'm not living up to my potential. Maybe there's more for me, but you were given an opportunity and look how you showed up. Think about, it just makes me think about all the people that are working at the dollar store, working here, working there, and what they have to offer if presented with an opportunity, or by the way, presented with an opportunity, most people would not take the opportunity, right? So it was like this, this interesting intersection of an opportunity. So I also think in addition to what you're saying, Sarah, that this is a theme that comes up with our listeners a lot that I think this is a great example of. Yes. When someone wants to change their life, but they don't know what steps to take because they're focused on getting all the way up here and they don't know what all the steps are to get there because they have Mm -hmm. no access to it. And they have an opportunity, but it's not the opportunity that they want. Do you take it or do you not take it? And when you signed up to be in the Air Force, you had no clue it was going to lead to the place it led you to. And that's what we're always talking about is you kind of have to say yes to opportunities, not knowing what it's going to bring into your life, because it's going to get you in one step in one direction that is going to lead to the next step. And you don't know, like you had a calling that you didn't even know you had, right? Absolutely. And I wouldn't, I mean, I'm sure, I I believe that whatever calls we have will present themselves to us over and over and over again, you know, but I do also think that sometimes we look back and we say, and I'm sure your listeners can think that there's an opportunity or there was a time or there was something where they were presented and they were too afraid to say yes. And they think back and they're like, I wish I would have, you know, I think that that was one of those moments for me, for sure, where the fear of not taking a chance was so much greater than 
what could happen on the other side. And I just, yeah. I just went for it. So um, that's how I got into healing. You know, not only was I helping them through their experience and I was like, you know, I had a, a boss who really just kind of let me take that program and change it because it wasn't what it was supposed to be, be doing. But um, I also started my own healing journey because I was dealing with a lot of trauma, um, dealing with all of the experiences that they, they went through and, you know, kind of fast forward 15 years um, and coaching workshops and all of the things that I've, you know, done to, to, to be trained to, to hold the space that I hold today. Um, that's kind of where I got my start. And that's, that's how I ended up here. Um, the second part of your question was how did boundaries become the focus? I realized probably like a lot of your listeners that I was not only a people pleaser, but it was beyond that. I didn't know that I had the authority or autonomy over myself and over my cho- my choices. And it wasn't even something that like, oh, it's I'm not aware of it. Like I had been programmed, like many of us, to just do what everyone wants you to do, to just be the peacemaker, to just to just do what is quote unquote right mm-hmm. versus do what's right for me. And that was a game-changing experience for me in my own life when I started to realize. When I say no to something or when I choose myself or when I, you know, stop entertaining what somebody else wants for me and instead choose what I want for myself. Yes, it's painful because I lose people sometimes. Yes, it's hard because sometimes there's debate or discussion or discomfort in my choices, but I feel more free. And Mm -hmm. I, I knew that that was something that I could see so many people around me struggling with. My clients were struggling with it. They wanted everyone around them to be what they needed them to be and hope that that would bring them the peace. When in reality, it's up to you to be who you need to be for yourself to choose it, regardless of what anyone else decides to do. And that's where the peace comes from and honoring that. Do you think that there is a connection with being a people pleaser to low self-esteem? And I don't know what if just I when you said when you said autonomy, like it, it made me think back to at the height of my obsession with people pleasing and my obsession with being everything for everyone. And I mean, I, I would keep, I would keep representatives like an agent or whatever in my life who were like ruining my career, but I was mm-hmm. too afraid to fire them because then they wouldn't like me. Mm-hmm. And I and and when I look back at that time, it was when I had the lowest self esteem. I mean, I still have low self esteem, but the lowest self esteem. I my I don't think you of know. you as a people pleaser, though. I don't. No, I I'm not anymore. I'm not anymore. But I'm no. Not. I honestly don't think you ever were. I really don't think of you as a people pleaser. Like I always think that you had very like almost rude boundaries. If I'm being honest, <laughs> um, you were always like, no, nope, not doing this, not doing that. You like never wanted to do anything that was like worked for other people. But the agent, the professional. Um, well, I was just saying she doesn't have context for you as a fourteen-year-old. You know what I mean? But, um, <laughs> but I think that. But by the way, it's a good. What's a good question is, we probably Who's the oldest. I'm just wondering. Sarah is okay. Okay, I'm an oldest though. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> is that I think it's what it probably leads to is like we probably confuse a lot of things for bad boundaries, right? Mm-hmm. Like bad boundaries is, a, is an idea, but maybe for you, Sarah, like that wasn't people pleasing. That was like insecurity, right? Like, oh God, I'm scared that person's like not going to want to represent me anymore. But people pleasing is probably more like 
letting other people's needs come before your own all the time, right? Yeah, no, people pleasing can be in, in any of them. And we all people please in different areas. So some people do like have stronger boundaries with family and friends, but at work they let, they overwork, they are underpaid, they're blah, 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 blah. Some people have strong boundaries at work and then in the romantic relationships, they let their partners do whatever they want and they don't say anything. So we do have the propensity to people please in certain areas. By the way, maybe where you feel safe, right? With my family, it's like, I'm safe with my family. They're not going anywhere, but at work, it's- Yeah, because Sarah, you've never been a people pleaser in your personal life, but only in your professional life. Okay, why? Why is that, Yasmin? Tell me. So I do think that uh, sometimes people pleasing comes from low self-esteem, but- it also often comes from the place where we seek the validation the most. Um, so if it, if you're struggling with people pleasing in your romantic relationships, you're looking for the partner to validate that, like you people please for ding, that ding, validation. Ding, Same ding, thing with ding. career. Yeah. Jasmine, you are hitting it on the. What are you hitting it on the nose? Hitting it on the. What are you hitting it on? Let's do the nose. You're hitting it on the nose. <laughs> you are on the nose right now, Yasmin. That's very uh-huh. fascinating because I think we always think. We always paint ourselves and someone else with one brush, with one mm-hmm. brush, right? We're like, oh, I'm an insecure person or, oh, I'm a people pleaser. Oh, I have bad boundaries. But you might be different in different areas because we all have different. I mean, the word trigger is getting, you know, so overused probably. I- but- I'm so sick of that word. I got to tell you, it's being really misused, but continue. We all have different sensitivities and one might be work and one might not be another. We don't, we aren't one thing all the time, but one mm-hmm. There's a lot of questions, but the question that I thought about the most when we were going to talk about boundaries is that what I see a lot of in my relationships, in my friendships, is someone who isn't good at having boundaries and they're learning to have boundaries. And so because it comes unnatural to that person they are overstating the boundary in a way that mm. sort of isolates them. Like, you know, when I'm argument with someone or a disagreement, the person's like, I'm going to have a boundary right now and you cannot talk to me that way. And yeah. it's sort of like, it's it's so unnatural that it kind of like takes you out of the conversation and, it, and the person doesn't really respect the boundary because they're sort of trying to force a boundary that they don't even really know how to have. You know, there's this idea of like, in romantic relationships where a woman's like, I'm not going to be treated that way. And I'm a queen. And you're like, that's not easy to connect to for your partner. You know what I mean? You're not looking to be above them. You're looking to be a partner and to be respected. And sometimes people who don't naturally have boundaries overcompensate, and then they're not really taken seriously in their boundaries. I think that's that's the case for every single person who starts this journey because the moment that you realize I have the power to say no, it's we go to the other extreme. We go from like never saying what we really desire to the other extreme of, you know, F everyone and I'm just going to do and say whatever it is that I want. Um, but I think when it comes to expressing healthy boundaries and doing it in a way that people can understand what you actually want, the key to that is vulnerability. And the truth is not everybody has the it's safe enough to hold space for us vulnerably. So we might be expressing a boundary with someone that we have we don't even have the foundation or relationship with for them to hold space for what we have. So of course, in the context of the conversation, it becomes aggressive. It becomes um, really defensive and a dispute rather than a conversation. Mm-hmm. This the thing that I think is an antidote for this is most of the boundary conversations that we're having with other people are actually conversations we're supposed to be having with ourselves first. Why are you in the cycle in the first place? Why are you not honoring your boundaries? 
What are you not being honest with yourself about that you want from this person? What are your expectations that you're upset about that they're not meeting, that they may not even know that you need them to meet? Where are you looking for validation? All of those questions that we ask ourselves help us to come to conversations with the real context of what we need from them, which is usually something like, I need you to listen to me. I want to feel heard when I say that I'm scared. I want to know if you're interested in the same thing that I'm interested in. Are we going to be a a couple or are you not interested in dating? Am I going to get the raise or is that not going to happen? Is a promotion really available? Like whatever it is that we're actually looking for, that's the essence of Mm -hmm. what we want. And then the boundary is with ourselves. If I don't get the raise, I'm going to leave. We don't have to announce if I don't get this release, I'm going to leave. That's an ultimatum. And ultimatums are not healthy. They force people into doing things or thinking things or ha- having to agree to things that they may not want to. Mm-hmm. Everyone has free range to have their own boundaries. And I think that's the other part that people don't realize. That too. is such a good point. It really makes me think about like, when you're screaming a boundary, it's you probably don't really believe in the boundary that you're giving, you know? Cause I mean, I think I'm sure we all know lots of women who have like threatened to leave a relationship or like, if you do that one more time, I'm never going to talk to you again. Like you make these really big threats. And I always think about one of my like most toxic relationships when I was in my twenties. And this guy would just cheat on me all the time. I mean, I caught him doing shit. Just if I looked for something, I would always find it. Mm -hmm. And every time I looked, I would have a screaming fight. Like I will not put up with this and you can't do this to me and I'm leaving. And I never meant it. Like I never, ever meant, I always knew I'm coming back. And the one time that I actually hit my limit, that I actually knew when I found something like, oh, I actually just, I released it from my body. Like it's, I'm I'm done with this relationship. I will Mm -hmm. properly never come back. It was the first time that I didn't scream. It was the first time that I just said, I hear you. I see this. I just want to let you know that I'm done. Mm -hmm. I am done. I have nothing left to give. I am not coming back and I am moving on. The door is closed. I didn't have to yell or scream because I truly just meant that it was, I, ju- I truly knew inside of myself that it was real. Yeah. I feel like you've said that to me before. Is that, are you talking about what you said? To, no. I also have gotten to the point where I told <laughs> you I'm done, but I apparently didn't mean it because I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> and I probably always was screaming it, which is why I, I can confirm that it wasn't real. Yeah. But don't you think there's like, I guess like how do we get help someone listening, learn how to get to that place where you have a confident boundary instead of a screaming boundary that's not even real. I think the reality is that like most of the boundaries that you think, the most of the conversations you think you need to have with someone else to get them to respect your boundary is something you need to do with yourself. Like for example, if you're in a relationship with someone and it's monogamous, the boundary has been set. Right. The boundary has it's been set. It's an unsaid set. boundary. Unless you're, ha- yeah. We're committed, Right. So unless you're in a poly relationship or something where you have, and even in poly relationships, there are boundaries Mm -hmm. that you set. And so if someone goes outside the boundary and violates the boundary, then yes, there needs to be a conversation about it. And then the boundary is, this is, this is what I am comfortable with, not Mm -hmm. these are my terms. And if you do not do this, then I will, if this is what you're comfortable with and, and if something happens outside of that, then the choice is now yours to act. It's not to get them or coerce them or force them to do what you want them to do. They've already shown you they're not interested in what you want. There are some people who are just not able to meet our meet, meet our needs. And that's the, the tough reality that we have to reckon with. There are going to be people in our lives, family, friends, partners that aren't interested in what we want. And 
Are you willing to be okay with that and be in relationship with them? Or are you going to dedicate your time and energy to trying to make them be someone that they're not? Okay, we all know how much I care about the ingredients that we put in our bodies, but I also really care about the ingredients we put on our bodies because it really matters, which is why we are talking to you about each and every. Can I just tell you that once you go clean, you'll never go back. I will never, ever, 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 ever put aluminum under my armpits ever again if there was a gun in my head. Nope. Each and every, it's unlike skincare, it's hard to find high quality, clean body products. And each and every really does that. They they have an amazing body wash and their ingredients are always sustainably sourced, always vegan, cruelty-free. Uh, they come with amazing essential oil scents. They are always free from artificial fragrances and other nasty stuff. And um, they don't leave any residue. You feel so clean it's just, I'm going to just land the plane here because Erin is just going on these. She loves to go on anything clean, any clean product. She's like, eh, I'm going to just make it really simple. You cannot put aluminum in your armpits. That's it. You can't do it. It's it's just not allowed. We won't allow you to do it. If you listen to this podcast, we will not allow you to do it. So, yeah. And each and every is a really great um, option. So don't settle for basic or natural-ish body products. Upgrade to each and every today. Pick up each and every in-store at Ulta and have it delivered right to your door using our special URL, eachandevery.com slash foster. Right now, our listeners can save 15% off your online order when you use our special promo code, which is foster. For 15% off, go to eachandevery.com slash foster and use the promo code foster. I'm really uh, missing my Sakara. I'm just going to be honest with you. I am in Germany. Uh, things are just a little bit different here. I was the other day going, God, you know what I really wish I had right now? A little Saqqara delivery. Cause mm-hmm. you know, and yesterday I really rubbed it in your face because I made an amazing smoothie. Let me tell you what was in my smoothie. I made, um, it was almond milk clean, of course, with the metabolism powder and their super green powder. And then a little bit of my own like chaga mushrooms and some wild blueberries. It was a phenomenal smoothie. I no, love the you really do. Maybe they need to expand to Germany because you really, it's not that I don't feel, you know, it's not that I feel horrible, but I definitely am missing my, uh, you know, organic. Yeah. Sakara delivers ready to eat plant rich meals that help you look and feel your best. You can choose which, uh, path you want to be on with them. You could be managing weight or easing bloat, keeping energy levels high, It's all science-backed, nutritionally designed meals that honestly make you look forward to getting them because they taste delicious. Here's what I love about Saqqara is that it's really in between cooking your own, you know, home-cooked meal from scratch and getting takeout, right? Sometimes you just don't want to do takeout. You don't know whose hands have touched, you know, you just don't know, you don't know what oils are in the takeout, all those things. And sometimes you don't want to cook at home. So Saqqara is really that in-between thing where it is fresh, homemade meals, but you can, you know... Yeah, Sakara brings expertly designed organic nutritional programs and wellness essentials right to your door. Their science-backed ready-to-eat meals deliver results that you can see and feel from weight management and easing bloat to boosting energy, clearer skin. And right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off your first order when you go to sakara.com slash foster or enter the code foster at checkout. That is Sakara S-K-A-R-A dot com slash foster to get 20% off your first order. 
sakara.com slash foster. What are you waiting for? By the way, what does it do to a relationship? Whether, you know, even parent-child, when you set boundaries, the boundaries get broken, but you do nothing about it. What does that do? Think about all the different relationships, boundaries we set in different dynamics that Mm -hmm. then get broken. Like Jasmine, do you have kids? I do. I have two. And I have a soon-to-be 13-year-old in two weeks and a five-year-old. I have an almost 13-year-old. Really? So you understand boundaries are super fluid right now. She looked at me the other day. I was like, God damn it, Valentina. If you blah, 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 I am going to blah, blah. She looked at me stone cold and said, no, you won't. (gasps) I, and she said it so calmly. And she just, because it's like these empty threats, these fake boundaries that I have with her. And it's, it's the, the, the teenage situation with boundaries has been the toughest that I have encountered. And I just find myself even being like, you know what? I don't know if you do this, you know, who's the who's the one in your relationship. But like, I'll tell my husband, like, I, I, I don't know what to say. Like, I honestly don't have a response for how bold the teenager is with me. What I what I will say with with parents is I always take a breath, take space, because my first reaction is especially as a parent, is often to try to control. I'm in charge here. You have to do what I said. Da, 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 da. You know, that's going to go in one ear and not the other. So I take a space, I come back, and then I'm like, hey, actually why I'm frustrated is because I'd like to trust you and you keep doing things that make me make it clear to me that you're not mature enough to handle the responsibility that I've given you. So this is what's going to happen now. And then I take the things away or they lose the time or they can't play with friends or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it usually hurts me more than them. I'm like, I want you to have your iPad. I want you to go to the party. But I have to like honor that so that she understands, especially as she gets older and she's going to be driving in three years, I think. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, that I I really want you to be safe. And I think that's what I'm trying to communicate to her that wasn't really communicated to me. It was just like, do what I say when I have mm-hmm. a kid. And now I'm like, do what I say. Because now we're like explaining ourselves. It used to be it's like no, no explanation is uh, going to happen here. You just have to. It's good though. It's kind of a good example that like, you know, we keep thinking that we have to like really overstate our boundaries. But like you said, the boundaries are clear in all relationships. And so if the person crosses it, they kind of should know what happens. Like your husband should know I don't want to cheat because I know if I cheated, she would leave, right? Mm-hmm. Cause like she has that kind of self-respect. Yeah, but hold on, time out on that. A lot of people feel that way until they're cheated on. And then they're like, well, wait a minute. I don't think I want to leave the relationship. Like, I think I, I'm not, I mean, a lot of people because think- Because sometimes our boundaries are based on what we think society or people around us will think about us if we do something versus what we actually think. Mm. So it's like, this isn't even really my boundary. I just have this boundary because everyone will think I'm stupid if I stayed. When really, ma- majority of marriages, when they have uh, someone who has an indiscretion, they try to work on it first. That's such a good point that there's one thing between like real boundaries, actual boundaries that we believe in, actual boundaries that we're desperate to hold up, and then boundaries that we feel like we have to have or we'll be judged. 
Yeah. And this is more so the belief system. And that's why it always comes back to you. What do I actually believe here? Is this my belief or is this society's belief? Is this my belief or my fear of what people will think about me? And it'll help you get more clarity on what you need in the first place. I just want to swing back one thing to the parenting thing because it made me think about it because it's so hard parenting. I'm not a parent, but like my sisters are and I try to like raise their kids with them. I mean, you, you're you pretty parental. I'm you know. very parental. But, um, but I have a sister-in-law who has three kids that are very well behaved. And she's Russian. I mean, she like doesn't fuck around. Okay. Mm-hmm. And she's not beating her kids, but they are like scared of her, right? Like they respect her authority in a way I've never witnessed kids respect someone's like a parent's authority. And I said to her like a year ago, I was like, Masha, I need to understand. Are you beating your children? Like they, they like you say something and they will not fucking cross you. But like, I don't see you hitting your kids. So why are they so scared? And she said, let me tell you something. I have never once in their lives threatened something that I didn't follow through with. Mm. If I say to them, you do that one more time or we leave the restaurant and they do it one more time, we actually leave the restaurant. Even <laughs> if it ruins my meal and my Sunday, I will remove them from the restaurant. So it's just that they know if I say something and then they do it again, they actually will lose the privilege or they actually won't go to their friend's birthday. So Mm -hmm. she's like, I don't have to do anything that crazy. I just have to be willing myself to ruin my weekend or my day because I follow through something. And if you follow through, then they know your threat is real. There's consequences. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. And I mean, people who are in relationships where their boundaries are constantly being violated, there's either one or two things happening. You haven't clearly communicated them, which is your responsibility. No one's a mind reader. Or you don't follow through and they know there's no consequences to violating your boundaries. And it, and that's the tough part. That's the really so tough what part. Are some ling- like, what are some languages that we could, different phrases that we could be using in relationships where we're feeling like we're not getting our needs met without making empty threats? Like, you know, you hear a lot about relationships. I Not to generalize, but I do kind of see more of a pattern with like men and women where a woman is saying to her husband many times, like, we don't go di- go for date nights. Like you're not complimenting me. You know, I don't feel appreciated. I don't feel like you're romantic with me anymore. Blah, 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 over and over again. And then one day she gets fed up and she leaves and he's like, she what fucking happened? left me out of nowhere. What happened? Yeah. I, we were fine. Like she's fucking crazy. She just fucking left out of nowhere. And like, she's been grieving the relationship for years. And it's like, it, it shocks him that it actually happened. I love this question. I think that there are... So the first part, I think, with this situation is that the wife in this scenario or the partner who's been saying, I need more romance, I need more dates, I need more this, I need more that. The partner, your your husband in the scenario, does not understand potentially either one, what means romance to you. He might be doing what he think is he thinks is romantic. He might be doing what he thinks a good husband does. I, I had a client situation with this one time where he was like, I take the trash out. I take the kids to school. I do all these things. I don't understand what else she wants from me. For him, being a good spouse was showing up for the family and doing all the things. For her, it was all of the things that got them connected and dating and happy and all of that in the first place. So there was a disconnect. The second part was, Understanding that what you want from him, he may not feel like he can provide because he doesn't feel like he has the same time, especially if you're someone who has kids now. Um, I know for myself, 
my relationship has drastically changed from what it was when I had kids to when I don't. The time is not there as much. We we do still have romance, but what romance is has drastically shifted. Um, so are we willing to accept what might be available in our relationships now? Do we are we projecting a societal idea of what a happy, joyful, romantic, loving relationship is on our partner? rather than asking ourselves what we actually need and communicating that. Because romance is really generic. Like, what is romance to you? I would like to hold hands more. Mm -hmm. I would like to watch a show together more. Can we go to a date night at least twice a month? Like, whatever it is for you, clearly communicating those things. Um, I don't like to generalize with men, but for a lot of males, especially, you know, um, men in, you know, a relationship with their wives, they need, like, specific specificity and clarity about what you want. And I I also want to generalize with women, but we don't want to say that. We want you to just know, just figure it out, just Google it in the same way that we kind of handle things and get things together. But listen, it's okay. I think it's okay sometimes to acknowledge that, you know, there, there's, there, there are generalizations for a reason and there's exceptions to every rule. But in some ways, you know, the majority of us are programmed a certain way. And some of that might be biological and some of it might be learned right? Like boys are treated different in preschool than girls are necessarily. Like we might learn at a really young age to like not ask for what we want. And maybe they ask for what they want all the time and they get it. So as women, I think that we are confused as to how, um, how to ask for what we want without scaring the person away. Um, because our emotions are different, you know, like sometimes guys there, it's much more clear cut. They're like, I want a blowjob. You're like, oh, okay. Very clear what you want. You know, they're not like, I want more romance. And we're like, what, what does that mean? They're, they're usually pretty clear about like, I want this. Um, 17 I, years in, I'm like, bro, you don't get sex if you're a dick during the day. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's 17 years. Like, it's so sorry. Like, it doesn't work like that. You don't get to, you know, be like rude all day. And then at the end of the night, like, hello, totally. but by the way, but not everybody's like that. But for him, Sarah, like for you, it's emotional. And for him, it's not right for him. It's a physical connection that doesn't have to do with liking each other or not for you. For 17 years. It's been this, the same conversation. It's like, why do we have to be getting along to have sex? It's like, uh, what? Right. But it's sometimes it's like a formula. You know, I always joke about like Simon, my husband is really romantic and he's really good at listening and like doing all the things that, you know, he thinks I want to do. But he's also like, he also understands it's a formula. He's actually just like, he's beat the system. Like he knows if he does these five things, he's more likely to have sex at the end of the day. Now he does it because he's a good guy, but he also knows it's a bit of a formula. Like if I make her feel seen and heard, then she's going to make me feel seen and heard the way that I want to be seen and heard. Right. Right. You know, like it's okay sometimes if it comes, if it goes outside of your um, natural inclination. That's called but, reciprocity. Yeah. Right. It's still, I, and, it, it still gets everyone what they want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's reciprocal. And I think a lot of people sometimes aren't interested in reciprocal or don't have the capacity for it. I think we also have to just be honest sometimes that it doesn't make someone a bad partner. They just don't, they may not have the capacity for what you desire from them. And it doesn't mean that they don't love you. It's just that it's not something that they're able to give. It's up to you to figure out if you're able to be in relationship with that person based on who they really are versus forcing something that maybe they can't, can't meet up. They can't meet you and do for you. 
you talked about something and I don't know if it was like a TED talk or something and I'm going to butcher it, but you said not everybody who you love or who loves you can show up for you the way you need them to in that moment or in the season you're in or in the conflict you're in. And Mm -hmm. that, can you just expand on that a little bit? Because that's such a good... It's such a good reminder. We just assume, right? That like Aaron, no matter what I'm dealing with, my sister can just, she will, she'll deal with it. Right. Or she'll, and sometimes she's like, she's doesn't have the emotional or mental capacity to show up for me in the way that I need her to. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I believe this was not everyone that you love is coming with you is essentially like not everybody is on the same journey you're on, you know, as we evolve, as we grow, we believe, oh, you know, you're my spouse. You should just be coming with me. You're my sister. You know, I have a sister that I'm incredibly cl- close to. We're only three years apart. We're like this. But there are many ways in which over the years, I'm sure you can see with your sister that there's been ebbs and flows in which we were going in different directions. You know, maybe when I was married first or when I had kids first and she didn't have kids. And, you know, th- th- we, there were different ways that our lives um, have kind of brought us back and forth together, even though our relationship has remained close. And I think because my sister, my relationship with my sister is a non-negotiable, like we're going to remain close, that I'm willing to accept those changes and those ebbs and flows. And we have such a foundation, like even the way that you both talk to each other in this recording, you know, that's really something only sisters can really do and understand the sarcasm and the laughter and the joke. And and there's a whole story behind it that you both know that no one else knows. That's not what's happening in our partnerships. That's not what's happening at our job. That's not what's happening with our friends. It's not what's happening with our best girlfriend. I mean, no. if my best girlfriend talked to me half the way Aaron talked to me, I would have kicked <laughs> into the curb a long time right. ago. Right. So it's like, we want this comfort and this familiarity with everyone that is just not there. And the the way to understand what people really want and for them to understand us is to communicate. But I think it's also important to know that we can communicate and people may say no. And that, mm-hmm. that the, our work in that situation is to deal with the disappointment, not to force them to do something they don't want to do. I think that's why so many of us aren't experiencing peace. Instead of accepting what is taking place, we're not dragging people along with us that are, you know, fighting na- tooth and nail to get away. They've said what they want, but we are not willing to accept it. Right. Um, not being willing to accept it. Like you have to accept the truth of what kind of friend someone can be, what kind of partner somebody can be, what kind of sister someone can be, and like lean on the people where their strengths are instead of forcing them to be someone that they're not. But how do you know when to accept it and when to walk away? I think when you see the first, the the truth is, especially in sometimes in friendships and romantic relationships, people are like, they call it voting with their feet. Their actions are showing you what they want. So you're seeing their choices. You may be asking for something or expressing your need and their actions are showing you their response. It's so true. We It's like people, we all forget that people can bullshit you. Like someone can say to you, I want to commit. I want to get married. I want to be in a relationship. I want to be in love. I feel this way about you. What are they doing? What is their behavior every doing? day? And based on their behavior... You can infer that they're, you know, and I'm not saying read their mind and make up a whole story that isn't true. Have the conversation. Say, hey, I see these actions happening, even though we talked about X, Y, Z. It's making me feel like you're not actually on the same page. Are we on the same page? You know, that you do have to have that brave, courageous conversation. Um, But don't 
when you see them taking that action and that red flag comes up within you, the red flag's not within them because sometimes we say they're a red flag. No, they're who they are. The red flag's within you letting you know that they're not aligned with what you want. They may be perfect for someone else, but the red flag's within you. So when you see that red flag come up, that's when you when you say, okay, this action is letting me know that this isn't in alignment. What am I going to do now? Versus ignoring the red flag and staying for 15 years at the job, in the relationship with the friend who is not actually meeting your needs. It's so true. Like making it about yourself going like, there's not, I'm not saying there's something wrong with you. This isn't working for me. I can't change that. It's me. This is the, I'm the person who has the boundary and I'm the one who isn't comfortable with what's happening. Absolutely. I don't know. Like saying like, it's not you, it's me. I was always so offended by that breakup line. Like, oh, really? It's not about me. It really, hello. Yes, it is. Like, it's not you, it's me. I think is like, no, but I, I used to say to my therapist when I was single all the time, like, this guy, he did this thing, like, that's weird, right? Or like, that's, he calls his mom, like, you know, six times a day. That's so bizarre, right? Or he does this thing, or he does that, or he spoke to me this way, or he only wants to hang out this many times a week, or he does. And I want her to confirm for me, you're right. This person's yes, weird. Right. And she would always say to me, Aaron, there's no such thing as too many, not enough, weird, not weird. It's just not right for you. Yes. And that's it. It's enough for somebody else. And when someone breaks up and says, like, it's not you, it's me. What a, I mean, that language does kind of suck because it's mm-hmm. like, what, what does this really mean? But I think understanding that that is like a super blessing. Like, just please break up with me and free me from this relationship that you're saying that you don't want to be in anymore so that I can have the space and energy for what I want. But, you know, you don't realize till you're older. No, you don't. Like, you know, youth is wasted on the young. You don't realize when you're older that, that like one of the most exciting things about love and partnership is being loved and needed and wanted by the other person. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That is so sexy when you're older. When you're older, you're like, oh, this relationship is so filling. It fills my cup so fucking high because this person can't get enough of me, right? And and that is, but when you're or young- Or accepts the part that they can't get it. enough of. Yeah, or accept, there's just such acceptance and there's such mutual respect and adoration for the most part, right? <laughs> when you're young, you don't factor that shit in. Like, no, like you're chasing the guy or the person who doesn't even, isn't showing you any attention. And, it's, yeah, look, it, and I think it's also something that is promoted on television. And we act out a lot of what we see. You know, I think about myself watching The Hills, watching Laguna Beach, you know, watching whatever show I was watching and being like, oh, I want the jackass on a motorcycle who isn't paying me five minutes of attention. Um, and we bring that into our relationships. We bring that into our friendships, too. We we try to fit in with the girls who are being rude and mean to us and talking about behind our back versus spending time with a person who may not be as popular. And so as we grow up, I think that we're starting to say no to those societal ideals. And I don't know about you with your daughter, but with with my daughter, they're doing that now. My daughter is hanging out with the people who she likes, not the people who are popular. She doesn't care about that as much as it was when I was 13. We're having, it's funny, actually, you say this because we literally had a quote unquote boundaries conversation two days ago Mm -hmm. because I am like up in her business. Mm -hmm. A lot of parents wouldn't agree with this. Like I look through the texts, I look at the Snapchat, even though that freaking Snapchat is like, it's, it's deleted so fast. So it's hard for me to spy on the Snapchat, but I am up in her business. And I called her down the other day and I said, we need to have a talk about 
your girlfriends and the girls you're surrounding yourself with. Like I literally just had this conversation with, with her two days ago. You can ask her. I was watching all these girls really treat her horribly. Mm. And it's not like she's some little angel who, you know, never says anything unkind and whatever, but I, I'm continuing to watch her allow these girls to have a piece of her energy and a piece of her goodness. And I'm watching it drain her. And I literally just said to her, I go, Valentina, I need to teach you. It is my job to teach you. Like you're not supposed to understand boundaries at this age. You're learning them now. So I am here to teach you that you cannot allow these girls to treat you this way. They can treat you this way all that they want, but you can't accept it. You can't, Mm -hmm. if they want to treat you bad, that's fine, but they don't get to have play dates with you. They don't get for, they don't get you to be able to um, share with them your light. You know, we just had this conversation and for her, it was kind of like, God, I didn't even like really think about that. I really explained to her the whole like dimming your light and all this shit, you know? And it's really hard for young girls to have boundaries because they have FOMO. Mm -hmm. They don't want to miss out. If I have a boundary with Jane, then Jane might be mad at me. And then I won't be included in the next sleepover at Jane's house, right? It's all really simple. So, So I don't know if there was a question in there, but... Now, did Valentina have a conversation with you about you crossing her boundaries by always spying on her? No, because she doesn't know about it. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I mean, I don't believe my kids, like when it comes to that, I'm also my kid's business. Like the boundary is you want to have this device, This I'm in your business. You don't yeah. want me in your business. That's fine. We take the device and you don't have it. I pay for that. I pay for that <laughs> device. Okay. I pay for that device. No, I've had friends say to me, you really shouldn't be like looking through her phone. And, and I go, mm, okay, well, I think there's what? a limit once they get older. Like if she's 21, I think that's ridiculous. Yeah. But at 13, yeah. I'm just like, no. Yeah. I want to know. I want to know. It's honestly dangerous. Like there's so many dangerous yeah. things happening on phones. There's so many like hackers and weird shit that pretend to be someone. And then they mm-hmm. meet up and it's just not worth it. Nope. Absolutely. I want to know everything. And I have no shame. Agreed. Guess what else I'm missing while I'm in Germany? Your sheets. I'm missing my sheets. And you know who else is missing her sheets? Valentina. You know what she said to me? She goes, mom, I'm feeling homesick. And I was like, I know, I know. And she's like, but honestly, I think it's just my bed. If I could just get my bed and just have my exact bed here, I think I'd be less homesick. And it was such a reminder that we spend half of our lives in bed, or in your case, a third of your life in bed. Yeah, and I it's spent a lot so, of my life in bed. That's why bowl and branch sheets are game changers. They're on all of our beds. They are organic. They are made to last with the rarest 100% organic cotton. They um, are an upgrade that you will never regret, guys. They have natural, what? unmatched softness. They get also get softer with every wash. They are made without well, they any do get toxins. They're made without any toxins, no harsh chemicals, and they are so soft. So it's not, you're not compromising quality to have something healthy. I think you guys now know that organic doesn't mean rough. I think you now know that, because we talk about Bull and Branch all the time, Mm -hmm. um, that they are the softest sheets I own. They're on every bed in my house. And guys, if you don't want to take it from us, 
there's over 11,000 reviews from other people. So Mm -hmm. exactly. So sleep better at night with bowl and branch sheets, get 15% off your first order. When you use the promo code foster 15 at bowl and branch.com that is B O L L and branch.com promo code foster 15 exclusions apply. See site for details. Guess what else I'm missing while I'm in Germany? My AG1. Why didn't you bring it with you? I did. I'm out of it. I've been gone for a month. You know, when I pack, it's like I pack and I think I'm, you know, I don't want to overpack and I'm blah, blah, blah. And I I miscalculated how much I needed for while I was gone. So I'm out of AG1. I don't have it. I got sick last week. It's a whole, it's a, it's a, it's a whole thing. So AG1 is the easiest and fastest way to get all the vitamins, all the minerals, all the superfoods, all the things you need in one scoop. Some Mm -hmm. people like to do it in their smoothie. As I have said, it's not for me. That's not how I do it because I like to just get it over with first thing in the morning. It's the first thing I do. It's I do it before I have my coffee, Mm -hmm. Um, but you can also put it in your smoothies. So every scoop is packed with 75 vitamins, minerals, probiotics, whole food sourced ingredients of high quality, They give us major benefits like gut and mood support, boosted energy, even healthier looking skin, hair, and nails. That's all Sarah cares about. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can also get it delivered to you every month. So it's really easy. And then you just create a daily habit out of it and be on a subscription plan. All the people we know we've turned on to are like, I've never felt better. It really does change how you feel. And honestly, it's too time consuming to take all the supplements that you need. So if you want to take ownership of your health, Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash foster. That is drinkag1.com slash foster. Check it out. Anyways, I don't know what the question is, but I do think, and not even just with our daughters, with our sons too, I think the earlier we can start having non-heavy-handed conversations, but just open dialogue about um, boundaries with girlfriends is because women, women have hurt me more than men have hurt me. Women have hurt me. My girlfriends have hurt me more than any boyfriend that wronged me and cheated on me is, 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 is child's play compared to how women have made me feel. You know, I think that I've heard a lot of women say that, and I think it's because of the expectations that we have for women versus the expectations that we have for men, because we expect men Sometimes in you know, our romantic partnerships to disappoint us, we're expecting that from the beginning. I don't know the programming that you both got from your mom or your parents, but for me, it was kind of like, you know, oh, sometimes men do this. Sometimes, you know, that's just what men do, blah, blah, blah. But I'm not expecting my girlfriend to like stab me in the back. Like I was expecting my girlfriend to like have this utmost standard. And I, I, I've been curious about that lately. Like, do we put a lot more pressure, even in that way, on our friendships than we put on? We will we will stay with a guy who cheats, but a friend who does it's late too many times. We're like, you know what? You don't respect my boundaries. I'm done. And it's like, by the way, a friend a friend who judges the guy who's cheating on you, you cut be- her out before you cut the guy out. Yes, yes. I think all of that societal programming plays into the pressure that we put on not only our our girlfriends but ourselves too. You know, some a way that I've learned to have a boundary that doesn't like isolate you, like. I found that maybe if like a bunch, there's a lot of things that I don't like. Like I'm just like sensitive. I There's a lot of people that I don't really want to be around. That I don't feel comfortable around a lot of situations. I don't really want to go to big parties or fun things or whatever. Cause I just you have feel good like, boundaries. I think you have good boundaries. 
I have some, I have some pretty good boundaries in my friendships because there's a lot of things that I don't like to do. And I used to, because I was insecure that I'm not fun at a concert. If somebody invited me somewhere, I would be like, uh, no, I'm good on that party bus with all those fucking losers. And I don't need to like get drunk on a Tuesday night and blah, blah, blah. I'm an adult. And I would almost, I would feel this need to like shame that person for wanting to do the thing that I'm not good at doing. And I realized that it really didn't make people feel good. So I adjusted. And instead of doing that, I'll be like, no, you know what? I just like don't really have fun at concerts. I wish I was more fun, but I'm just like, I'm kind of more into staying home right now. I'm like reading this book or I'm going to stay home, but let's go to like to coffee tomorrow or like, mm-hmm. let's go to dinner one-on-one tomorrow night. And I've, I've stopped trying to make somebody else feel bad about being good at something I'm bad at. Do you know what I mean? Whether that's socializing. Absolutely. And that's so healthy because I think also too, I'm wondering... Were the friends saying to you, like, oh, you're so boring. You come on, just come out. Because I feel like sometimes, like, when you're stating your boundary, like, a big thing right now is for people who aren't drinking. Mm-hmm. When they say, I don't drink. People are like, come on, just have one drink. You don't have an alcohol problem. What are you talking about? Eventually, the only response people feel like they have is, you know, well, I'm not an alcoholic like you. Like, they feel like they have to project back at the person and shame them to be able to stand there in their power versus just saying, I'm just really not comfortable with drinking and I'm, I don't appreciate you trying to pressure me into it, which is just, you know, we don't often use that kind of, that kind of language in relationships, but that clarity, and it doesn't have to be like in an embarrassing way, like, hey, it really upset me when you said that. And, you know, I respect what you want to do with your life, but for me right now, I'm just choosing not to drink. So if you don't bring, it would be great if you don't bring it up or try to pressure me into it. Let's be honest. We're all putting our own shit on everybody else. What Projecting. the hell does it matter to me if I'm out at a concert and Aaron sober or not? If I'm getting wasted, I don't care what she's doing. I'm only triggered if it starts to make me feel like, oh God, do I drink too much? Okay, well, it'll make me feel a lot better about myself if you start if drinking. she it's is me. as drunk as me, yes. It's only yes. about your internal stuff that's coming up and projecting it. Absolutely. None mm-hmm. of your friends give two shits about if you're sober, if you're not. It's your life to live, right? It's They only care because it's reflecting a mirror on them to have to have make them look at their selves. Yeah, because if somebody's they- like, hey, come out, come get a beer with me. And the guy's like, no, I'm going to take my wife out to dinner. And that guy knows he's not taking his wife out to dinner. He's going to shit on it, right? If you say like, have another drink with me and they're like, no, I got to get up early. I'm going to the gym at like 8 a.m. That makes you feel like shit because you're not getting up and going to the gym at 8 in the morning. So you're like, don't be a loser. Cancel the gym, have another drink. It's uncomfortable when someone else is outgrowing you or they're like past yeah. you or they're more evolved. Or, they're- or or I think, you know, it's not even that they're more evolved or outgrowing you. They just have a different life choice. I think we even have to watch that because like in healing a lot now, we'll say, oh, I'm on a different level. It's like, really, there's something you're still struggling with. Like there's something in your life that you're still working on and you're healing. They are still drinking and partying and that's what brings them joy. It doesn't mean they're beneath you. They, mm-hmm. That's just what just brings them joy. And maybe you're at yoga retreats and, you know, in, in a sweat tent, you know, in the middle of California. And that's great. That's what brings you joy. But it doesn't mean you're more involved. Because- no, that's true. That's like judgmental speak that I brought into it because I feel judged or I judge, right? Like mm-hmm. you always feel like you're on one end of it. It's so true. Boundaries are so like, like I used to think of boundaries as this like, um, as this like tangible thing in a way, right? Like whether it be like this, like la- these like loud proclamations. But the truth is, and I shouldn't tell you what boundaries are, but when I think about you, Aaron, with like boundaries, like I think about, about like 
your friends know to not come over to your house to talk shit and gossip because they know you don't talk shit and gossip. You're not into gossip. Like gossip do, doesn't make I can do a little I can do a little shit talking. No, but <laughs> gossip doesn't make you feel close to people. So just like you're and you've never shouted that, but I think your friends just know like there's a boundary there. Even though you've never you're not the, ever the kind of person that's like you know how there are pe- how there are girls that are always shouting loud like I'm not a gossiper. I'm not a gossiper. It's like you never say that. You just don't do it. So your friends don't do it with you. It's like a silent boundary. Right? Here's what I don't here's what I don't like and I don't believe in. <clears throat> if I feel compelled to talk about let's say I want to call Yasmin and talk about Sarah. Oh god, wasn't Sarah like so brutal in that interview, you know, like she's so full of herself. I don't want Yasmin to be like, you know what, Aaron, that's not really kind of you to talk about Sarah that way. Like, I don't think that's appropriate because then I feel, I feel shamed and embarrassed, right? Like then I'm like, feel like, like I'm being judged. What I think is better is for you to be like, oh, I didn't really experience her that way. Like I could see how maybe you would feel that way, but like, I don't know. I always get a kick out of Sarah. I always think that she's like, she always brings it around in the end. That's what I try to do. If a friend wants to talk shit to me about someone that I like, I'm Thanks not going to like yeah. make them feel bad about it. They're allowed to feel, if, if they don't like my yeah. friend or if they don't like my sister, they are entitled to feel that way. I'm not going to shame them for it, but I'm going to say, oh, I don't know. I mean, I, I I guess I didn't pick up on that. Or I, I always feel like they're sort of doing their best or you can make someone feel okay. It's okay. If someone has a judgment, don't make them feel bad about having a judgment. Just like show them another option. Yeah. And, and stand in your truth. You don't have to join them in it so that join them in the gossiping so that they don't feel alone. You can say, you can be a part of the conversation without being a part of the gossip. That mm-hmm. takes that takes a lot of work. That is, I think, something that so many people are working on trying to do in their relationships because they feel like, oh, I have to end this relationship or, you know, I'm not being my highest self when I'm with this person. You can be in relationship with people who are not healing and still be the person that you want to be while honoring where they are in their lives and accepting them for who they are. Because I, I don't have, everyone in my life is not healing. Everyone in my life doesn't honor their boundaries. Everyone in my life, you know, isn't uh, sober curious. And right. I love them the same, you know? It, I'm just able to do what I choose for myself while allowing them to, to be themselves. And I think also too, what you were saying, Sarah, like there are people who, like if you really want to have a really good gossip, you probably wouldn't come to me for that. Because I'm probably not going to give you the good gossip that you're looking for. Um have different friends for different things. There's somebody out there who's willing to like go to town on that guy. If that's how you want to spend your energy, there's somebody out there that's going to do that. And I think when we honor our friends for who they are, we don't come to them with stuff that they're not interested in. Like, I'm not going to ask my sober curious friend to go to the bar with me tonight. That's another thing that you learn as you get older though, right? Like when I was in my twenties, even early thirties, I just put all of my friends into one box. Yep. Yep. They were all in one box. And if this person didn't do this, I was pissed. And if that person did that, then I'm pissed. Instead of going, no, I've got her for this. Like, she's not capable of giving me this, but I've got Carrie over here who's great at that, but who I don't necessarily want to like go to a bar with because she goes to bed at seven, but she's so there for me when I need help about this or that. And again, another thing, I just don't think, I think our friendships would be so much more you know, fulfilling if we didn't put everybody in in one box. Absolutely agreed. And I think people struggle with that because of, again, a lot of it goes back to what we're taught, what we're supposed to be, who we're, people are supposed to be to us, 
Um, and who we want people to be to us, the, the, the expectations and the projections that we place on people and the pedestals that we put people on, like, oh, you're my best friend, so you should, or I've known you 25 years, especially, like, I don't know if you've seen that in your relationships, but now as our relationships are getting, like, decades old, people are like, I've known you 25 years, I've never known you to not, well, I don't do that anymore, it's okay now, like, and I can still be your friend, and we don't do those things together anymore, or, you know, now I do this, and it's okay. I think ultimately, you know, for people who are listening, I hope that this is allowing you or inviting you to get curious about why you say the things that you say and and having more fluidity and allowing yourself to change and change your mind. I think that's the most powerful thing. We, we see a lot about calling your power back and standing in your power. The most powerful thing that we can do is allow ourselves to change and to decide something different. And to not be stuck to who we are or what we think we should be and, and be curious about what would be best for us in this moment because life is going to continue to life. We don't know what's going to come the next day. But if we stay curious and if we stay in conversation with ourselves and honest with ourselves, then we can get to the clarity of what we really desire. It's really hard to watch people in our lives, whether it be a sibling, a husband, a best friend, change and grow. It's really hard. And I think we lose sight over the fact that we're supposed to grow and we're supposed to change and we're supposed to evolve and we're supposed to, you know, take on new shapes and this and that. And but I've I've watched relationships really suffer and some like just end because one person, the relationship is is changing. And I think that's really. I, th- I think and it's we have really- to let we have to let people change, right? Like I I've said this before, but like I have a hard time sometimes around my friends that I had in high school because they're always reminding me of who I used to be, mm. and it's like, oh, you're not being. Yeah, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Just being around them makes you think of your past, or they're always saying things, going, oh, you blah blah blah. Yeah, saying like I feel like they won't let me. They won't let me move on from who I was in high school. And mm-hmm. like, I don't like who I was in high school. You know, like that's not who I want to be anymore. So it's, it makes me feel embarrassed when it, when I'm always reminded of like, oh my God, remember how mean you were to that girl? Oh my God, remember how awful you were at that party? Oh my God, remember like, oh, you're, you're so much more chill these days. You used to be so blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't want to be reminded of that person all the time. You know, like, let me move on. I'm 40 years old now. Like, That's I, what I, was gonna say. I don't know how old you are, but for me, like high school was like, I, I, we, we, it's time to move on. Like I am 40 <laughs> years old. Like I don't yeah. want to always have to be like held accountable for who I was when I was 17. And I was like an angry teenager that like mm-hmm. hated myself and was mad at everybody else. You know, sometimes I like, love meeting new people because I get to like a fresh start of who I am today. Absolutely. I also think that people need to let people not grow if they don't want to. Like, Mm. let people decide that they don't want to do this. Not everybody's choosing healing work. It's a choice. We we have free will to decide to do this work or not. Um, It doesn't mean you have to stay in relationship with them, but it, it, we do need to let people do what they, and it's hard. Because if you're a recovering people pleaser, if you're a recovering codependent person, if you're a recovering perfectionist, you want everything to be tied in a nice bow and perfect and ready to go. Um, that's just not how life works. And I don't know about y'all, but I feel like um, the older I get, the more that I'm getting comfortable with the fact that I have no idea. Like, I do know some things that I'm doing, but I have no idea still. Um, 
when I was younger, I was really confident that I was a grown up and I had it all figured out. But today I'm like, I'm a grown up and I'm figuring it out. Let people figure it out and and have their own journey and release your responsibility from trying to control their journey in your own. Oh, I love to control Sarah's journey. I'm always trying <laughs> to control her journey. Really trying. Yeah. She is. She is. And guess what? I don't try to control hers. I know. Really hard. <laughs> really hard. I want her to be on the path I want her to be on. Guess what else I'm running low on in Germany? Your Osea. Osea. Uh, uh, protection no. cream. The protection cream. So how do you know that? I, I'm because good. it's my I'm favorite. Good. Yeah. I'm good on all my other stuff, but the protection cream, I think because I'm so dry here, so moisturizing. Well, I've been using their Andaria Algae Body Oil, and it's one of my favorites. Also, the Andaria Algae Body Butter is another favorite of mine. You know, they've really sort of cracked the code on a clean skincare brand that is so effective that you truly do see a difference. Well, because it's backed by going like it's backed by impressive clinical studies, and so you can actually trust that they work. It's not just clean and like fluff. A lot of the time, you guys, when you're looking in the mirror and you're like, oh God, like, I, like, what is that wrinkle? What is that? What is that line? What you can really, you can make lines go away with good skincare. You really can. Mm-hmm. And they that make everything, hydrate. everything they make is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, climate neutral certified. So, you know, you don't have to decide between like a clean brand that doesn't work or a bad one that does work. This one's clean and actually does work. And you can also let your tweens use it. It's what Vivi uses. Cause exactly. I'm like fine with it. So this summer, get glowing, healthy skin with clean vegan skincare and body care from Osea. And do not miss this rare opportunity to try Osea's best sellers body care set for 33% off and 10% off your first order site-wide with the code FIRST at oseamalibu.com. You will get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to oseamalibu.com and use our code FIRST for 10% off. Okay. So I always struggle with what to eat in the morning. I never know what to make, what to eat, what to do. And I've been using daily harvest lately because it just like really covers my options. It just like hits every craving. They're really easy to make and they're loaded with fruits and vegetables, which is very important. So daily harvest. Here's what I like about it. I'm going to just cut you off because you are cutting me off of your tangents. I'm going to just cut you off. Here's what I like about it. It all goes in your freezer. All this stuff in your freezer, it makes life so much easier. They have smoothies, they have forager bowls. They are the perfect addition to a morning routine. I just think the morning sometimes gets very overwhelming and you don't really know what to do. And so the fact that they're sitting in your freezer and you can just choose one, it makes life a lot easier. The mornings are hectic, especially when you're making school lunches, you're braiding hair, you're doing all those things, you're off to work, you're trying to get to the gym. If you can just take one thing off your plate, like making breakfast, Mm -hmm. because... And they work directly with farmers. They secure the best ingredients and freeze them at peak ripeness. So it locks in this always in season taste. And what you see is what you eat. We all deserve easy mornings. Let Daily Harvest give you one thing less to worry about. Go to dailyharvest.com slash foster to get up to $65 off your first box. That is dailyharvest.com slash foster for up to $65 off your first box. Dailyharvest.com slash foster. Okay, guys, we have about 500 audience questions, but one thing we have not... Is the sugar jar? Is the sugar jar. Tell us about the sugar jar. 
So the sugar jar was a great way for me to visualize boundaries in a way that you could easily check in. The jar itself is you, the vessel. The sugar inside is your energy. It is your time, your money, all of the things that you can exchange. Um, is someone asking you if they can borrow your house, if they can borrow your car, if they can borrow $5 if you want to go to a place. The lid on top is the boundaries. And there's two things. Some of us have no lid on our jar. So people are just coming in, taking sugar, taking our energy, and we're probably feeling depleted, drained, and ultimately resentful. We think that everyone is taking advantage of us. But I think the sugar jar helps us to understand that it is our responsibility to manage our jar. It is our responsibility to put a lid on our jar and put those boundaries in place. And people are not taking advantage of us. Some of them are. But for the most part, most people are doing what we allow them to do. So if we do not want them to do it, it is time for us to say no. And so a quick check-in for yourself is asking yourself, like, how's my sugar jar? Where's my sugar level? When someone says, hey, do you want to go to this party with me? Asking yourself, do I have the energy for this? Do I, if I, if I say yes to this and it's a cup of sugar out of my jar and I only have a sprinkles left, I'm going to wake up resentful. Somebody's going to get it. My family's going to get it. I'm going to project on my boss. I'm going to project on my partner. Like, If I don't have the energy, then the answer is no, or I need to do what I need to do to fill myself up so I can say yes to this, which is probably saying no to other things. So the sugar jar is an opportunity to really question, and it's a self-reflection. The way that I teach is always about coming back to self. We can't control what other people do. I have a handful of friends who feel like they have to be at everything. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. like, And it all comes down to just... FOMO, right? Like it all just sort of, is that sort of, and I always struggle because I'm the opposite of that. I don't go anywhere. I'm kind of like, I'm fine to miss things. I don't care who's going to be there, what it's going to be. And don't get me wrong. I'm a very driven, opportunistic, motivated uh, person. You know, it's not like I'm so evolved that I blah, blah, blah but I just genuinely don't feel that I'm fine to miss a party. I'm fine to miss an event. I'm fine to miss a dinner. I just don't care. But I have really close friends who are the opposite of that. And I'm always kind of going like, why are you going to that? Right? Like, but then I'm also like, well, why, why do I even care? You know? Cause I'm like, Oh, cause I want her to be like me. I want her to know her self-worth. I want her to know she can say no to that dinner and people will still like her. So it's, and, and I know, Aaron, you have like a handful of friends that are also like that. And you're, you're a little bit more like me too. You don't care. I mean, you're even more like me. You really don't care about being, you're good at saying no. You're really good at being like, I need me time. I need to stay home and do a face mask and read a book and listen to a podcast. Cause that's what I need. But a lot of people are not like that. A lot of people, I think, but here's the thing. I think it's like the trick is when you have the friends that are going to everything no need to judge them on it because like that's yeah. their journey, right? Like that's what they're they may getting. Also be fulfilled by it. They're getting like, fulfilled there. They may like I, I love you know Oprah and Gail. Obviously, Oprah always said like I I don't care. I'm staying at home. And Gail's like I'm going to be at everything because she loves it. It's not like she's like afraid to miss out. She's freaking Gail. Like mm-hmm. no, she's actually enjoying herself. So I think also understanding that for some of our our friends, maybe they are exhausted, but like they're like, I don't want to miss out on this because I'm going to have a freaking amazing time, and this is what fills me. Also, Gail is single. Oprah's got Stedman, so that's that a different. And I think a lot of <laughs> a lot of friendships, there's that element. Like I was saying to my best friend, but I was Gail like, hasn't I, always been single, right? No, Gail's been single for a while. Gail hasn't been. I don't know. 
Right. So imagine if Oprah. When we met Gail. Making, she's single. Imagine if Oprah was always making Gail feel bad about, oh, you're going to another party, huh? Oh, wow, well, you really stayed out late that night. Like, we don't know. Maybe she is. She's Oprah. She's not doing that. She knows better. <laughs> That's right. The point is, is like we have to let our friends be where they are because we don't know what it's like. You, you know, if you have a partner, you don't know what it feels like to have to go home by yourself. You don't know. Mm-hmm. Not everyone's good at being mm-hmm. alone. Maybe it feels uncomfortable for them. So Maybe many it, people are afraid of being alone and they are yeah. partnered and they still don't want to like be home by themselves. So I think it's it's definitely and some people will never choose that. They will choose the party and be exhausted rather than be by themselves because it's it's terrifying. I always say some of my loneliest friends are married with kids. Mm. It's very true. I have single friends, not lonely. Full life, but no single and no kids, by the way. They are thriving. They are filled. They are like, and then I have friends who are married with kids who are like, have the soul of someone living in solitude. Yeah, because a lot of times we isolate ourselves from everything and pour ourselves only into what we're doing, our our marriage, our kids, our life as a wife and a parent. Um, that's such a good yeah. point. I think sometimes... For, for those folks, you need to say yes to the invitation and do something for yourself for once. Yeah. Um, question, how do we figure out, and I guess we've already kind of covered this. It's not our job. Like we're not mind readers. How do we figure out what other people's boundaries are if they've never told us them? You can ask them. <laughs> you can what ask you say? them. You just so say, you, hey, you can say, hey, I've, I've noticed, if you've noticed something, hey, I've noticed that maybe you seem a little uncomfortable about this. Am, am, am I doing something? You know, do you need something? I think it's our job not to be mind readers, but it's also like from as, as a friend, you want to show up for your friend. Obviously, you don't want to be having this conversation all the time where you're having to figure out what's going on with your friend, but ask and see if there's something that they need. And if they say no, there's nothing that they, that they need, then then move on and, and drop it and let it go. But I think we should ask. Do you think that like, and I always, I'm like the resident, like old person, but I'm always so fascinated by this younger generation of, you know, the 18 year olds who like their boundaries are almost like so intense. You're like, chill with the boundaries. Like at work, you know, it's like their boundaries are like, oh, I can't uh, be in this conversation because that person like looked at me the wrong way and now I'm uncomfortable. You know, it's like, we, do you think like the younger generation has kind of like jumped the shark on boundaries? Like I, I told a story recently that my 13-year-old, 12-year-old called me about something that happened at school and it really like, you know, traumatized her. And I'm like, girl, you fucking get your shit together. Get some Go thick back to school. Skin. Yeah. Get yeah. some thick skin here. That is not, yes, I honored her feelings and blah, blah, blah. But I was also like, this is not gonna work in the real world. Like, not every zodiac is, sign. Her mine or her mine. Yours. Aquarius. <laughs> Why do I remind you of, do I remind, are you, do you, do you see yourself in me? Do you see me and you? No, I'm an Aries. Uh, I'm, no, yes, kind of. I'm an Aries sun. I'm a Cancer rising. So I, and I'm a Taurus moon. So I'm very balanced, like kind of balanced out. Thank goodness with the Aries. But, um, but the very like, no BS. I just have to know. I had to know. But um, I do think that we cannot even comment on Gen Z's response yet because they're the first generation being able to use their voice. So it's all porcupine-ish for us. We're kind of like, what is going on here? Um, But I do think boundaries is something that you can use in a way that is manipulative. You know, you can say Well, that's not boundaries then. It's manipulation. I think we need to be like really clear on that. Um, 
Like I have a boundary. Like I will not allow my boss to make me feel like you made me feel small. It's like, well, maybe you didn't show up to work on time. And your (laughs) boss said to you that, you know, in front of other people, like you can't keep being late and it made you feel embarrassed. And being embarrassed is going to make you be on time next time. Like it's okay for someone to make you feel bad sometimes. Right. And that girl went to her friends was like, I had a boundary with my boss today. It's like, well, no, you're actually like not... it has, and it's actually not even your boss making you feel bad. Bad, it's your boss holding you accountable. You yes. feel bad because yes. you're being held accountable. Yes. So it's like being clear, like what's accountability, what's responsibility, what's manipulation, and then mm-hmm. what's boundaries. Boundaries are what's there. The definition of boundaries is what we put in place to keep us safe. Your boss asking you to be on work is on time to work is not keeping making you unsafe. So that's the you know mm-hmm. the safety or the or the clarity is you need to be on time to work so we can actually operate this business. Yes, you get paid to be here during these times. That's the reciprocal relationship that we yes. have. If you're not honoring it, then I'm going to hold you accountable. If you don't step up to that and be responsible, I'm going to let you go. So yes, I, yeah. Literally, you know, she was telling all of her friends that night about the boundaries she had at work. (laughs) It made me feel really uncomfortable that I was in trouble for being five minutes late. It's not a big deal. And that's where young people, it's like, you think that, I think that all these safety words are getting a little misconstrued, like you're saying, for a lack of accountability and responsibility. Mm. It is part of being an adult that you're going to have uncomfortable moments where someone puts you on blast or someone asks you a question in class that you don't have the answer to and you feel ashamed of that. And those are going to be growing moments where hopefully you can have a conversation with your parent or Mm -hmm. a friend where you get comfortable being uncomfortable. And young people Gen Z is still so young, though. I think it's going to take them time because Gen Z is still so young. Um, And millennials are still young. We're we're still young and and, or the the latter end of millennials. So I, I think just really giving them space. I mean, if you think about Gen Z, they remind me a lot of like the generation in the 60s and 70s that just completely transformed the way things were being done. And I think, you know, millennials obviously started that. Um, and I think we have a little FOMO that we didn't get like with the freedom that <laughs> Gen Z is getting in terms of really being able to define what Gen Z is doing is trying to define life as they see it. They're not interested in the capitalistic society we live in. They're not interested in the the drama that they feel like we have passed down to them. And, you know, we blame the people before us, the Gen X, the Gen Xers. And so um, I'm interested to see, like, as Gen Z gets older, how this really begins to, tran- just begins to transform. Listen, on one hand, I'm so fucking annoyed by it, like, with my 12-year-old, because, I mean, she is... And your 12-year-old is alpha. But then I secretly am like, damn, like, I'm kind of proud of her because she is loud. She is outspoken. She is an activist. She is like, she's unafraid. She's unafraid. If you said, and if you, if you walked into this house and if you said something that offended her or you didn't say her pronoun right or something, she would say something to you. You know what I mean? And not in a disrespectful way, but like she would feel comfortable saying, I'd appreciate it if you would refer to it, whatever it is. You know what I mean? I think we have to like honor that we're the millennials who gave them this. Yeah. Like they're, they're like only doing what we have like created for them. The reason I think a big, a reason why it bothers, bothers me is because so much of the self work that I'm learning how to do, like I go to this specific type of therapy called DBT and it's really, really really amazing. Mm -hmm. Love DBT. And Everything we focus on is getting comfortable being uncomfortable, that it's not a bad thing, that that's where you learn and grow. There are times that I 
text my therapist afterwards and I'm like, oh my God, I'm like spiraling about this conversation that we just had. Like, should I have talked to you about that? Like, should I? And he's like, I'm not going to make you feel better about that feeling. Sit in your discomfort. We'll talk next week. Mm-hmm. Just sit in it. Sit in it. Let yourself panic. Let yourself be scared. Let yourself feel all those things. It's okay. Like he and I have had disconnects where like, he has to call me out on something like, you know, listen, you can't text me in between our sessions and think that I'm going to work for free. Like that's not appropriate. And then he know he says to me, like, I know that this potentially could put a barrier between us because you want to shut down. You want to cancel your next appointment. You don't like that. I made you feel like we don't have the closeness you thought we felt. Let's work through it. Let's work through it together. And I think it's so important when we think that thing that, that when anytime you hear that, the way I made you feel. It's how you are feeling, not how I made, I mean, maybe I cursed you out. Maybe I, you know, like there's certain levels of accountability, but if you're having an experience when someone holds you accountable in in your therapist situation, like you were just explaining, he is enforcing the boundary, not only based on the license that he has to have a, a professional relationship with you, but also the reciprocal one, like you pay me for this time and then I show up for you. That's a boundary. And I think we're not used to have, we want to give boundaries. We're not comfortable people enforcing their boundaries with us because we mm-hmm. it, it's it's hard to hear that you haven't done something or showed up the way people want. I think what, you know, when I see my my daughter and her friends and things like that, or even like, you know, the 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds, the gender years that are already in the working force, and we share people complaining about, oh, they want a four, four, you know, they don't want a 40-hour work week. They want a four-day work week. They want to work from home. They want to do this. They want to do that. Like, would it be not, like, all we've been saying is we want more freedom. My millennial clients, for, 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 for certain. We want more freedom. My clients that are like uh, in the boomer generation or, you know, the, the 90s, generation are saying, I wish I had what the millennials had. Like, that is what is happening. So I think what we see is a generation of people actually doing it, what we have created for them. It'll take them time, just like it has taken me all the way almost until my, you know, go almost on 40 to finally hold myself accountable and realize that sometimes I am the problem. I could not do that at 20, the way that I can do that today. And I think we're just dealing with a Gen Z that not only has the language to use toward us um, and also is willing to just quit and go someplace else. Because, you know, like when we were 21, you couldn't just say, you know what? Oh, okay, maybe I'll just try being an influencer today. They have so much different opportunity and they see the world so differently than we do. We were like, so oh, true. college, this, this, this. And that's it. Right. Like, oh. like, you want to disrespect me? I'll just go get my YouTube channel started. Yeah, okay. exactly. <laughs> They don't care. Okay, so we are getting to a close here. So I want to make sure that we get to some of the questions. Are you in New York? Where are you? I live in DC, but yeah, I'm a New Yorker all through and through there all the time. You have to write us when you come to LA because we. I will. Yes, you definitely do. You know, I have a question about this. Isn't on here, but it's making me think about it. Like, I think that in our 30s, Mm. when it comes to dating, um. I feel like there's a lot of women because we've been, you know, led down a road of no commitment and lost years and bad relationships and everything. Sometimes you find yourself on a date feeling this urge to like, let everybody, let them know, like, I want children and I want to get married and this is what I'm looking for. And I will not accept cheating. And I will not, you know, I want to be someone who on makes the first time date and you know, listen, dating in your thirties is a weird experience. Sarah, you've never done this, but it's, it's like, you feel 
this pressure to not waste time and to not be, you know, let on and to let someone know exactly where you're at and, and also to be confident because some women in their thirties feel like they have to hide that they want kids or hide that Mm -hmm. they want to get married. They just be fun and just be light and don't put any pressure on the situation. And so you don't really know which way to go. And so, like I was saying before, you know, you overcompensate or you state something too harshly or Mm -hmm. you, or you avoid bringing it up. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, what do you think the best way is? Cause there's so many women that are listening who are single or dating. And it's like, you don't want to scare someone away, but you also don't want to deny the truth of your situation. Oh, I was just talking to a, a client about this. I think, um, this is so hard because of the pressures that you're talking about, but I think it's important to remember that you are meeting a person that you do not know. And I don't know why we put so much pressure. I I mean, I do know why, but we put so much pressure on that first date because, or on the dates that we're having, because first of all, there's so many sucky crap dates that that we've been on. Mm -hmm. We want to be clear. We want to be safe. We want to be respected. But I think it's also important to recognize you don't know this person and they don't know you. Like, let's reverse this. You're coming to this date and they're like, this is what I need. This is what I want. It's like, hi, I'm sorry. What's your middle name? I don't know your middle name. You know, so it's like, remind yourself that you're here to have fun and get to know somebody. And then once you get to know them, I think at least one or two, yes, on the first date, if they say, hey, do you want children? Do you want this? I'm saying be honest, of course. But this is just a, do I even want to get to know you meeting? Do I even want to go beyond coffee or go beyond this dinner? And I think also be clear with yourself on what you're doing. There's dating to have a good time. There's dating to like, you know, have sex and just be having a good time or there's dating to like be in a committed relationship. I think those are two very different things and they come with two different expectations. So be honest with yourself about that too. If you're dating to be in a long-term committed relationship, don't even entertain a second date with someone that has made it clear to you that they're not interested in that. Don't Mm -hmm. think you can turn them into something different, but don't also make it feel like because you're 35 years old, that you are at the end of your life. I think that it's really hard for us because obviously if you want to have children, like the truth is in the science, we know this. And, you know, even if you freeze your eggs, there's still a potential that, you know, you may not, you may have a harder time. So I think it's like being honest with yourself in that, but also you're still allowed to enjoy your life. I actually, I think it's it's so harsh, the pressure that women in their 30s feel when dating um, having to appear young enough to still be des- young enough in quotations to still, because you are young, to still be desirable to men um, or whoever you're dating, but also to not put so much pressure that you seem desperate. Yeah. But a man can be, a man can be 47 and we're like, mm-hmm. you know, he's hot, he's unattached, you know, he's, he's got gray in his beard. I think we have to kind of undo some of that societal programming within us first before we come to the date. Well, you know, 35, 35 to 39 are the best. The fucking Listen, they are. But, but you have to remember, Sarah, that you already had kids at that point in your life. And like when I met my husband, I was single, obviously, and I didn't have kids. And I was 35 years old. I was about to turn 36. So I was right in this exact sp- space. And I felt like I had, it's kind of like Goldilocks. Like I had like come on too strong with people before where I've like, mm-hmm. you know, this is what I want. This is where I'm at. And then I've also like pretended to be so cool and aloof. Like I didn't care about any of that stuff and it wasn't authentic. And I really remember a shift because I think sometimes when someone's your match, it just kind of like brings out that, a more yeah. honest 
version of yourself. And I remember him asking me like, what's your life plan, right? Kids, marriage, what do you want? And I remember being like, I really want to get married and have kids, but I also have a really great life right now. And so I'm not willing to do it with just anybody. I want to do it with the right person. So whatever it represents, whatever, however it presents itself, is how I'm going to do it. Like maybe I end up being a stepmom, you know, when I'm 42 and like, that'll be okay. Or maybe I meet someone tomorrow and I get married. Like that'll have to be okay too. Like I'm mm-hmm. accepting the truth of wherever my life's at, but I do really want those things. You had to work really hard to get to that place though. You totally, I mean, that's what I'm saying. But that's what I'm saying is I did it wrong so many, or like, you know, ineffectively in so many other ways that when I got to that place, I wasn't saying that to impress him. I wasn't saying right. it to have the right answer. I was You're being truthful. the truth. The truth is I really want those things, but they haven't presented themselves yet. So I have to also enjoy my life until it happens. I think also recognizing too that, yes, age plays into it, but when you are dating someone, when you're, when you're dating a, a man with any common sense, he knows you're running out of time. So I think that the, the pressure that we feel to like pretend that it's, something that it's not is also a problematic. Like if he's like, oh my gosh, you're putting so much pressure on me. Like, you know what's going on here. Yeah. So if I say I want to have kids, you know that there's a time clock on that. And I've heard this with with friends and with clients too, that when they met the right person, a person who, you know, understands what's happening, the pressure's not even there because he understands just as much as you do what the terms are if you get into a serious relation and you state that you that you want to have kids. So I think there's also that if someone gives you pressure, that's the last date. If someone I'm also a firm believer in really showing who you are early on, like, you know, the saying, like you're dating someone's representative for the first year, which I get it. We've all done it. We've all wanted to be like on our best behavior and appearing like, oh, I love going to museums. Yeah, let's go. I love art. Let's go. The worst. The worst. Like I think about myself, if I were to be single, like, Oh my God. I'm like, to show my true self, I'd have to just like be in a robe all day and like never wearing makeup <laughs> and like truly being a hot, not even a hot mess, just like a disheveled mess all the time. But it's like, you can't do that if you're single, you got to, but I do think especially early on, like with the, you know, when you're starting your life, you know, in your twenties and your thirties with someone show the show who you are right away. If you're crazy, you show that crazy early on because it's going to catch up with you. And then when you finally reveal yourself it's all going to go to shit. Someone's going to, Aaron always said, someone's going to love your crazy. Someone loved her crazy right away. Like, I think we are so wrapped up in- You can parcel it out a little slower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you, you know, play it. like not wait years. And I think that's why people say, oh, we grew apart. I think sometimes we grew apart and sometimes someone started being their honest selves. Yes, yes. Yeah. 100%, 100%, 100%. Yasmin, can you- this might just be a yes or no answer. Mm-hmm. Can you set boundaries with a narcissist? Oof. No. You can. Yes. You can. Um, will they honor them? That's the question. But yes, you can. Sometimes the boundary is more of a stay out of my life. But yes. Yeah. I think Aaron, the boundary is probably changing your number. Yes. <laughs> Blocking theirs. Aaron, do you have one last question? I, I want to keep talking. I mean, the only question is like, can we be friends? Oh my gosh, yes. I love this so much. Great. Yeah, like, I actually I have like we just got together. No, it feels like we just got together. We just hung out. <laughs> yeah, husband's like, my boundary is that I actually don't want to be friends with you, but uh, thank you for being here. <clears throat> this is purely professional. 
No, this was um, awesome. No, you're you're really great, and I really like how you encourage people to set boundaries with vulnerability because mm-hmm. I think that that's where the big disconnect is for everybody. Is you think you have to scream your boundary? You don't have to. No, I think vulnerability is the key to to everything. Honestly, once I tapped into my vulnerability, my relationships got stronger. I it, it, it's. It's, we always feel, not we always, but I always felt like vulnerability equaled weakness. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm very repetitive about this on the podcast, but when you um, lead with vulnerability, I think anything can happen. I think you can get anything you want if you lead with vulnerability. Yeah, Sarah's been, hu- Sarah's been hugging me left and right. I mean, it's been crazy. I love it. And wait, what's your, what's your zodiac sign? I'm um, August 23rd. So I'm like Virgo Leo. Oh, okay. So yeah, you're Leo. Very the Leos are very sensitive. You know, people think of them as the leaders and the strong and this and that. My daughter's a, a Leo, my 13-year-old. She'll be very sensitive. It's very true. sensitive. Yeah. I have two Scorpio daughters. Oh my goodness. Scary. I love Scorpio women. I know people talk crap about Scorpios, um, but they're very direct and they're not gonna mess around. That's for sure. I have two very direct daughters. Yeah, it's great. It's a good thing. Well, Yasmin, you're you're awesome. I mean, this is so great. And and can you please tell everybody um, your book so they can buy it and where to find you? Yes. Okay. You can find me on Instagram at Yasmin Cheyenne and my book, The Sugar Jar. Will you spell that out? Will you spell it out for everyone? Sure. Y-A-S-M-I-N-E-C-H-E-Y-E-N-N-E. And my book, The Sugar Jar, is available everywhere books are sold. Well, Yasmin, you're awesome. Let's um, let's all get on text together and um, everyone should go get your book and follow you. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you so much. You're awesome. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode. Hope you liked it as much as we did. We have a big, big, big request for you. We, we do. Please go leave a review. It makes a big difference for us. I was about to say, Aaron, don't sound so desperate, but we are a little desperate. We are a little desperate. We need you to leave a review. It's really important. And we don't it ask you for anything. Two seconds. By the way, send a screenshot of your review and maybe we'll post it. Okay. Maybe we'll call you. Maybe we'll... Why are you rolling your eyes? Just every episode is going to say that though. Great. <laughs> okay. This podcast is executive produced by... Can you not use that voice? I'm sorry, I'm trying to sound... Yeah, but you don't need to make it sexy. This podcast is executive produced by... Can you... Do you have a normal voice? Yeah. Aaron Foster, Sarah Foster, and Allison Bresnick. I'll take over. Our Our associate associate producer is Montana McBearney. Our audio engineer is Josh Windish. This show is hosted by Simplecast. See, that didn't sound nice. That sounded great.